Word of God, isn't it? Um, a privilege and a responsibility. Uh, my name's Mel. I'm married to Paul. We have two children, Barney and Poppy, and um, I'm a teacher. I teach English um, in the city centre. Um, just to sort of start off, obviously today we're going to be looking at the subject of temptation and how to avoid it. Uh, this morning I said to my daughter, who's seven, Poppy, what do you find tempting? Without hesitation, she said, chocolate and sweeties. <laughs> and I don't know what temptations you face this week, but it's kind of comforting to know that we're not alone. Does anyone here never experience any temptation of any kind? Anyone? Anyone? Not experience temptation of any kind ever at all because you are perfect in every way. <laughs> yes, that's you. I don't see any hands, and I count myself among you. We're human beings, and we struggle with temptation. And the first I wanted to start off by reading, which I haven't put on my PowerPoint, is Romans 7. And I think Paul expresses the struggle with temptation so well when he says this in Romans 7, verse 15. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual. Sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate to do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. And it is, as it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is the sin living in me. I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. The evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is the sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. What I want, when I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. What a wretched man or woman I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Pause. Thank goodness the story doesn't end there. <laughs> Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Should we say that together? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Because of the cross, I wanted to start with the cross. Because of the power of the death of Jesus, because of the blood of Jesus, his blood stands in my defense. It's his blood that washes me clean from sin and from temptation. So as we look at this subject, we don't look at it and think, oh no, I do that. We have hope. We have a hope because Jesus is able to go ahead of us and he has gone before us and forgiven us of all our sin. So let's have a look at the subject of temptation. We're tempted in three main ways. The desires of the flesh, for example, lust for power or money or reputation or 
sex, to use some examples. Also, the devil may tempt us like he tempted Jesus in the wilderness. Jesus was tempted in every way as we are, which is a great comfort, and came through victorious. And number three, we can be tempted by the world or our culture, the people around us, to be influenced by them, which can be very subtle in many subtle ways. The root of sin is pride. And all of the temptations above find their root in pride. So pride is the big bad boy of the bunch. He's the biggest, baddest bully, if you like, pride. And pride says, I don't need God. I'm fine on my own, thanks. I've got this. I can run my own life. And I don't need your help. I don't need God's help. I'm doing very well, thank you. Pride, which says, I don't need God. And if we trace the root of pride right back to Genesis chapter 1, we see the serpent approaching Eve as a snake in the form of a serpent and saying to her the words, Did God really say? Don't believe the lies of the serpent who undermines the very character of God and questions that God is a God of love at the very root of that first sin where Adam and Eve fell is the root of pride, where Eve decided to believe in the serpent's lies rather than in the truth of who God is. I want it all. I want it now. I want it all. I want it now. Freddie Mercury immortalized these words. We love to sing it, but actually, what are we singing? To me, that quote just summed it up, the flesh. I want it all and I want it now. I was in a crowd the other day, um, queuing for coffee and people were pushing and, and I said to this, I suddenly realized I was pushing as well. I was going, hey, no, I, I want a coffee. I've got 15 minutes. We're all, I'm in a hurry. I realized I was joining in with it because like this feeling of like, I've got to get to the coffee. I've like, you know, if I don't have coffee... And I sort of stopped myself. I thought, what am I doing? This is so silly. And I said to the lady behind me, do you need to, you're in a hurry? She went, yeah, I've I've got to get back. I said, you go before me. And she went, what? I said, you go in front. She went, in the queue. And I went, yes, you go first. She was like, wow, weird. Okay. She was even really uncomfortable about it. You know, like, that doesn't happen, does it? Because our attitude of I want it and I want it now, we see it. We see it and we join in because there's something about people grabbing for something, if there's only a few left, that makes us think, actually, I want that. I want it for me. I don't want someone else to have it. And that's the bottom line, isn't it? We are selfish human beings. Is God the one who is tempting me when I'm tempted? That's a big question, isn't it? Is God tempting me? So we read in James 1, 12 to 15... Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away 
by their own evil desire and enticed. Then, after death, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. There's another verse that says, I think in Proverbs, there seems a way that is right to a man. But in the end, it leads to death. And the Bible says, narrow is the way that leads to eternal life. Broad is the road that leads to destruction. Narrow, narrow is the gate that leads to eternal life. Because it's much easier just to go with the flow and do what everybody else is doing and be swept along. I don't know about you, I have an iPhone. It's probably the biggest thing that tempts me, if I'm honest, my iPhone. And this morning when I opened it, it said, you have used half of the normal time that you normally use on the phone this week. You are down by three hours and 50 minutes compared to last week. Praise the Lord. Because I'd been on holiday and I put my phone away. And it actually gives you a breakdown now. It says, Mel, you spent two hours and 40 minutes on WhatsApp. You spent one half hour on productivity. I have to work out what the productivity is. <laughs> Probably buying stuff. You've spent 20 minutes. So actually, it's quite revealing. I didn't ask it to tell me that. But I'm glad that it has, because I'm like, whoa, I didn't realize that I spent this much time on. And it breaks it down into what I'm spending my time on. Hopefully, it says that there's the Bible app on there as well. So I'm hoping that that will go up, and the surfing on the internet will go down. So it's important to remember that we can't blame God. We cannot blame God. There was a big neon arrow, and it's pointing right here. It's down to me. It's down to me. When I was a little girl, what tempted me was chocolate and sweeties. Then I started going to secondary school, and all my friends were behind the bike sheds. They've come behind the bike sheds, Mel, try this. They pulled out this stuff, it looked like dirt. I said, what's that you're putting in your cigarettes? They said, oh, it's called hash. Do you want to try some? No, thanks. Oh, go on, we're all doing it. We're all trying some just for a laugh, you know, just to see what it's like. No, thanks. Oh, come on, Mel, oh, don't be such a, you know, you know. And the pressure starts to, rise, to, to, to go up a notch, doesn't it? Suddenly it's not chocolates and sweeties. Suddenly it's something a bit more serious that could really lead to a serious addiction. A boy in my class in that school in London died because he was um, inhaling gas in a park, you know, on a park bench. And he, it shocked all of us because he was 16 years old in central London. And he died because he got hooked on something that he didn't really know what he was doing. And it can start with a small thing like, oh yeah, I'll just try it. And hash is psychologically addictive, very addictive. And it leads from one thing to another thing to another thing. And some people have described it that Satan gets a toe hold, then he gets an ankle hold, then he's got hold of your leg. And before you know it, he really has you by the throat and you don't feel that you have the power to say no to that addictive substance because it's controlling you and the only person who can rescue us from that is God so who has the right to judge God I chose this picture because in many religions 
they say, for example, Islam, that at the end of your life, your good acts and your bad acts will be placed on a scale. And if your bad acts outweigh your good acts, you will go to hell. And if your good actions outweigh your bad actions, you will go to heaven. Or in Hinduism, you will have bad karma and come back as a lower creature. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. Categorically, death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. So our, we can't put anything on these scales that is going to help us. We can't do anything to save ourselves. That sword is drawn and we are at the end of it because we deserve death because of the sin, because of our sinful nature. But Jesus has said, I will take your guilt, your sin, your um, flesh on myself and die for you so that you don't have to suffer eternal death. That you can look forward to an eternal life with God. So we, we have both, we have God's wrath against sin, but we also have his grace and his love, and both are equally true. We often don't always talk about God's anger against sin. We don't always dwell on the fact that God cannot look at sin, cannot tolerate sin, but that is the truth because we wouldn't need salvation if it wasn't true that sin is ugly and we need saving from it. When Jesus died on the cross, Jesus cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God was, had to turn away from Jesus because he became sin for us. And sin is ugly. And we need to decide in our hearts, no, I'm not going to let it take root in me. So imagine you are this tree. You have the beautiful tree above the ground and beneath you have the roots which sustain the tree. Imagine those roots are your mind. We don't see what's going on. Only God knows our mind and our heart. He searches our innermost thoughts. What is the condition of our heart What is the condition of our mind? Those roots in the picture are drawing down deep into the soil. In fact, I was reading that sometimes the roots are bigger than the tree itself because the roots have to go very, very deep and they stretch right out to draw in nourishment, to draw in nurture, you know, nutrients from the soil. They stretch They're powerful. They're unseen. Our thoughts are unseen, and yet the Bible says that God searches our hearts. He searches our innermost thoughts. He knows who we are. There's wisdom to be found in Psalm 1. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way of sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. That person 
that person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. So the wisdom is, not that we don't hang out with non-Christians. Of course we do. I hang out with teenagers who are very, very different from me. That's my job and my colleagues. But it says, be careful. First you're walking in step. Then you're standing in that way. And then you're sitting in that way. Can you see the progression? And if you're not careful, you become like the person that you don't want to be. So my friendship group at school, I had to make a choice. It's quite difficult to hang around behind the bikes as if you're not engaging in the substance. You have to make a choice because you're not like, you're, you're making a choice. I'm not going to do it. So I have to remove myself. I have to take myself out. We all know when that, where that tipping point is, where it becomes unhealthy. And yet the wisdom of Scripture says, if you choose to delight yourself in the Word of God, if you choose to meditate on it day and night, you will become like this tree, which produces fruit, and whatever it does, prospers. Because just like our human bodies need good food, five a day, fruit and vegetables, good food, if we are feeding on good food in our bodies, our bodies feel good. If we binge on Burger King, which my kids would love to do every day, they are not going to feel good. They are not going to grow. And so we need to make a note to ourselves, how am I meditating on the word of God? (coughs) Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, Whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Philippians 4 verse 8. So the Bible's showing us these are the things you can think about. On my phone, the news feed that comes through, is it good news? No, it's awful. And Paul says, will you read that before you go to bed? I'm like, no, I don't want to. It's making me really sad. It's making me just feel so sick of what's going on in the world. I want to know so that I can pray and be aware, but I have to be careful how much I focus on things which are the opposite of noble, pure, lovely, and good reports. Sometimes I feel like typing into Google, good news, happy, you know, Happy things are happening all over the world. Somewhere. Focus on those things. Ask yourself, how much time am I spending on focusing on things which are actually really bad? If we look at this passage, Exodus 34, it's the passage where Moses goes up Mount Sinai and the Lord reveals to him the commandments the Ten Commandments. And he says this, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. 
Moses bowed to the ground at once and worshipped. So I'd like to just think about, for a few minutes, the consequences of sin. The consequences of sin are not just for me. They will have an effect on my family, on my children, and with some sins, they will potentially affect my children's children. And if we look at the New Living Translation of the same passage, it says, I lavish love, unfailing love, to a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin, but I do not excuse the guilty. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children and grandchildren. The entire family is affected, my underlining, even children in the third and fourth generations. So it's important to understand what the Bible is teaching us, that it's not just, oh, well, it's all my life, and I'll do whatever I want. Actually, your actions have a reaction, and there are serious consequences to sin. The example from the Bible, which I've picked, because it teaches us so much, is the example of David and Bathsheba. In 2 Samuel 11, we read, In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. My red. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him, and he slept with her. What was David doing on the roof? What was going on in his mind? Why was everybody at war except the king of Israel? The king, who normally leads his men, leads them, not just with his words, with his actions. He remained behind. We don't know why. The scripture doesn't tell us why, but it says that he can't sleep. And you can see from this picture, from his clothing as well, the sense of opulence. Was he wealthy? Yes. Was he powerful? Yes. Was he married? Yes. Not just married to one woman. He was married to Abigail. Remember her? Beautiful, intelligent, kind, wise. Not just her. He had other wives and concubines. What was wrong with them? Nothing. He decided it wasn't enough. It wasn't enough. What was he doing on the roof? Paul and I had this debate where Paul said, David seduced Bathsheba. And I said, she did not. I mean, uh, he said, Bathsheba seduced David. And I said, she did not. And I said, David seduced Bathsheba. Typical male-female argument. So I looked into it. Women bathed in the courtyard, in the privacy of their homes. 
And David was the only one who would have had a vantage point over the whole city where he could look down into the privacy of the, the courtyard. He was looking and he shouldn't have been. Or once he saw that it was private what was happening, he had the choice to turn away and go back inside. But with his eyes, he kept looking and he desired her. He thought, I want her. And then even though he found out that she was married, which is where he should have stopped, he thought, I'm the king. I'm the king. I'm the king. And I can have whatever I want. I want it all and I want it now. Why shouldn't I have it? I've been a great king. I've done a really good job. All my men are at war. I'm so bored. Nobody's going to know. You can imagine the train of thought, him thinking, I can have whatever I want and I am going to take it. Not so fast, David. Nathan, the prophet, comes and tells him a story about a man who had a huge flock, flocks and flocks of sheep and goats. And he says, you took, this man took a little lamb, the only lamb that that man had, and sacrificed it. And David says, what? Who could do this? And Nathan says, the man is you. I gave you all Israel and Judah, and if all this had been too little, I would have given you even more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife to be your own wife. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. The sword will never depart from your house. Adultery, murder, but it all starts here in the mind. When I was a child, my mum used to sing, be careful little eyes what you see. Be careful little ears what you hear. Because the Father up above is looking down in love. So be careful, little eyes, what you see. And that's not just for men. That's for women too. We have to be careful what we're looking at, what we're reading, what we're dwelling on. We have to turn away from sin because the fruit of sin is very, very serious. The baby died And we can say, God, that's so unfair. Why? That's not fair. The sin fell on the innocent. And we have to pray, not just for ourselves, but for our nation. That when our nation turns away from the Lord, that there are consequences for our nation. And we need to cry out, have mercy, Lord. Forgive us. Restore us, Lord. Revive your church again. Those songs aren't sung very much anymore. Good old Graham Kendrick. Revive your church again. Have mercy on us. The judgment of the Lord continues in verse 11. This is what the Lord says. Out of your own household, I am going to bring calamity on you. Before your very eyes, I will take your wives 
and I will give them to one who is close to you, and he will sleep with your wives in broad daylight. You did it in secret, but I will do this thing in broad daylight before all Israel. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, the Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die, but because by doing this, you've shown utter contempt for the Lord, The son born to you will die. Serious consequences. So, how do we avoid temptation? Let's look at some tips. These are just mine, the things I've found work for me. You'll probably be able to add more wisdom to this. Stay in close relationship with God by his Holy Spirit worshiping, praying, praying on your own, praying with others, reading the Bible and reading encouraging or listening to encouraging sermons and books. The internet can be used for good. There's so much good stuff out there. Good food. Just have to know what words to put in the search engine. Submit yourself then to God. Resist the devil and he will run away. This is my memory verse with my kids at the minute. If I plant it in their hearts now when they're little, I hope it will stay with them. So we've got actions, resist the devil, and he will run away. Do you resist once and then give up? No. Twice? No. You keep resisting. Keep resisting. Like Jesus, who said no to Satan three times. No, no, no. Know your personal weaknesses. One of my weaknesses is shopping. I rarely go to the mall. The last time I went to the mall, maybe six months, eight months, nine months. I can't remember the last time I went. I don't go there because if I go there, Paul's credit card will be maxed out. And that's not good for your marriage. It's not good for me. So stay away. If you know that sweeties are your temptation, then you don't hang around in the sweetie shop. You stay away. Don't go on the roof. Don't go to a place where you know you're going to be tempted and you're alone. David was alone. He wasn't with his wife, wives. He was alone. That was dangerous. Keep meeting with other Christians. Don't isolate yourself from Christian fellowship because that will make you feel low. You will be isolated and lonely and that is when the enemy attacks When we're in bed and we're like, I'm too tired to go to church. I can't be bothered. It's too much effort. No one else there sins anyway. No one's going to understand the things that I'm going through. Actually, yes, we do. We are not going to judge you because you sin. Because we all do. And we need to be honest with one another about our struggles and the things that we struggle with in the privacy of one-to-one or, or the triplet that you're in, to say, look, I'm battling with this. Please pray for me. Make yourself accountable to other Christians. I remember Dave Mitchell at Woodland saying that he said, if there are some men here, he said, who are addicted to pornography, you can make yourself accountable to me or your mentor by it will send the history of everything you've looked at on the internet to me. It will send the history to me and I will hold you accountable. 
for what you are looking at. There's an app for that. So when we say we've sinned, we know we've sinned. In conclusion, my last slide, what do we do now? Confess it. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You might say, but oh, Mal, I've never told anyone about this. It was something that happened so long ago, and I've always felt guilty about it. I've carried it with me like a stone, like a weight. You don't have to carry that guilt anymore. You can put it down because the way is open for you. The way is open because of the blood of Jesus to, to run straight to God and say, God, I'm sorry for what I have done, for the things that I have thought about. I find this prayer very helpful. Have a read through it yourself. And if you want to pray it, in a moment, we're going to pray it together. Shall we pray it together out loud? Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we have sinned against you and against our fellow men in thought and word and deed, through negligence, through weakness, through our own deliberate fault. We are truly sorry and repent of all our sins for the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, who died for us. Forgive us all that is past and grant that we may serve you in newness of life. To the glory of your name, amen. We thank you, Heavenly Father, that we are forgiven because of the blood of Jesus. Only by grace can we enter. Only by grace can we stand. Not by our human endeavor, but by the blood of the Lamb. Into your presence you call us. You call us to come. Into your presence you draw us. And now by your grace we come. Amen.